two readings this morning. First one is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reign of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey knows his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And we've got John 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, clearly this is Jesus speaking now, a bit of a contrast. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word and speak to us. Uh, thank you for your living word. Thank you. And speak to us now, we pray, to your honor and glory. Amen. We've been encouraged, those of us uh, on the Rota for August have been encouraged to share something of what uh, is going on in our lives, just something that's kind of hot issue in our, in our own mind at the moment. Uh, so you'll forgive a kind of slightly personal touch to this. If I were to put a title to it, I would call today Keeping Company with God. Keeping Company with God. There are times when we need direction in life, and sometimes it's hard to find, and sometimes it's hard to know where to turn to to get direction. Uh, a friend, when we were in Uganda, a friend of ours was traveling up uh, in the north, a very barren area, part of Uganda, with no, you know, just a desolate, uh, arid landscape with not many landmarks. 
and came to a fork in the road. He was going, it was a Sunday morning, he was going to a confirmation service. Uh, there were no one in the car that knew the way. So he stopped at this fork and there was a chap on a bicycle that he waved down and he said, where can I find this church? And the chap said, well, you go that way. And then he thought about it for a minute and he said, and when you get up there a bit, you turn right where there used to be a tree. And uh, I can kind of identify, I can sympathize with that chap. Uh, but finding direction is not always easy. And finding our, our way in life can be challenging. There are significant points in our lives which are fairly obvious of redundancy or retirement where we seek new direction and a new vacation. But there are also times when we just seek new direction because of a feeling that we're in a rut. Things have got a bit uh, routine and we reflect on our spiritual journey and we just don't seem to find that there's been much progress. And let me just outline a scenario which you may or may not identify with all or part of this, but you might. I come to church. Of course I do. I'm not about to give up my faith. My faith is solid in Christ. But deep down, I know I've kind of lost my way a bit. It's beginning to feel a bit routine. There's a sense in which I think I'm in a bit of a rut. It's difficult when I review the past months and even perhaps years to see what transformation has taken place? There's a yearning for something deeper and more real that I can't quite define, although I know that Augustine was true when he said, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you, O Lord. But I'm not quite sure how to turn that into a daily reality. It's true, but how do I make it real in my life day by day? I have the resources to pursue uh, what are entirely harmless pleasures, which act as something of a distraction. But I know that of themselves, they cannot satisfy my deepest yearnings. I have books to give me guidance and I'm finding them a bit confusing. I find a way of muddling by, of, of kind of treading water with a constant underlining, un, under, uh, underlying restlessness about my life and about my spiritual journey. If you can identify with any of that, then let's explore together how perhaps we can move on. One way of describing the Christian journey is that it's about uh, relationship, vocation, uh, sorry, relationship, transformation, and vocation. Or, or to put it another way, connecting, being changed, and doing. And when we have a restlessness of the sort that I'm describing, there's a tendency, I find, 
to focus on uh, transformation and vocation. I'm not being transformed. I need to find my way. So we focus on that. I need to have a longer or more focused prayer time. I need, I need to read the Bible more. I need to be more disciplined. I need to read more Christian help, self-help books. I need to strive for something new, something more. And this is especially true if you share anything like my Christian heritage of my upbringing. Because in that heritage, there is a danger that of assuming that when I came to faith, the relationship bit was done and dusted. The relationship box was ticked. And, and if, if the Christian life is about relationship, transformation, and vocation, that bit's done. That bit's sorted out. I was a sinner. I came to faith. I came to repentance and faith in Christ. The, and the sin that separated me from God, Jesus dealt with on the cross. I've accepted that. I've come to him, I've responded, and the rest of my life is about obedience to Christ and his word. I live my life now in response to what he's done. The relationship is sorted out. Now we get on with, with transformation and vacation. Well, all good. And I'm very thankful for the Christian heritage that I had, don't get me wrong. But perhaps God is calling, well, God is calling me and has been calling me to question the under, my understanding of relationship as a box that's already been ticked. In the passage from John that we had read to us, Jesus said, I do not call you servants any longer. I call you friends. Jesus describes the relationship that he has and wants with his followers as a friendship. So how does that actually look in practice? What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? How does it make me rethink that relationship, transformation, and vocation journey? Yes, we may sing what a friend we have in Jesus, but if we were asked to actually define what that really means day to day, how would we articulate that? How would we describe that friendship? These are the questions that I've been provoked to ask myself over the last year, 18 months. And perhaps some of the greatest insights into the relationship that God wants to have with his people are actually to be found in the Old Testament. Because we, in there we get a glimpse of what happened to God when the relationship was damaged, when the relationship was broken. And that gives us an insight into what God's relationship with us, what he desires it to be. We know that at times they turned away from God to idols. 
And other times they just got so distracted by building their houses and making money that they just forgot God. The setting for Isaiah's prophecy, we just read the first uh, three verses of that prophecy. The setting of chapters 1 to 39, as we know, is before the exile, and it is a damning indictment of the people of God and their life. But how revealing are those first three verses? Right at the start of his prophecy, as he's introducing where he's going with this, we read of a God who is not angry and ready to punish these people for failing to obey some arbitrary set of rules. It's a God who is grieving over a broken relationship. Hear me, O heavens, O earth. Listen, everyone, just listen to what I have to say. I reared children and I brought them up and they have rebelled against me. That's grief. The ox knows its master. The donkey knows where its manger is. But Israel does not know. My people, keep saying this, my people do not understand. That's a grieving parent whose children have turned away from them and he's agonizing over the loss of relationship. Jeremiah, likewise, uses similar language of grief. The grieving parent. The grieving parent is about to discipline his children and send them into exile. But he's not wanting to do that. He is grieving over it. In fact, at one point when he said, what else can I do? I've tried everything. I've lavished my love upon my people. I've sent my prophets to plead with them. What else can I do? And at that point, he begins to look beyond the exile to them coming back again. And he gets excited about the return and the restoration, even before they've gone into exile. My dear people will not listen. Just one more example, the prophet Hosea. Hosea is called by God, and in chapter 2, husband Yahweh is agonizing over the unfaithfulness of his wife, Israel. Slightly different picture, but we get the same message. And we have another glimpse of what God's, of what Israel's unfaithfulness meant to God. The hurt, the regret, the loss of a spouse whose partner has been unfaithful. She, this is chapter 2 in Hosea, she, that is Israel, has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her grain and wine and oil. I lavished these gifts on her. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after other lovers. But me, she forgot. The grief is intense. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. And it goes on, can a bride forget her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. They've just been too busy. They've forgotten me days without number. A God who's grieving. A God who's hurting and wants more than anything to have 
a loving relationship with his people, agonizing over the loss. Can't understand why they've turned from him, despite all that he's done for them. Jesus said, I do not call you servants anymore. I call you friends. This is the relationship that I want with you. When a friend, a spouse, a child deserts you, it hurts. And we've got an insight into what that meant for God. Yes, there's absolutely no doubt that God wants to transform us and he wants to us to find our vocation in his service. Yes, it is about transformation and vocation. But my sense is that God has been, what God has been saying to me is, yes, I want to transform you day by day. Yes, I want to lead you into new ways of service for me, but first of all, I want your company. I want you as a friend. If a friend were to call you each day or come and see you, and immediately you met them, you give them, uh, or they give you a list of things that they would like from you. And then at the end of that list, they said, um, oh, must go now, or in brackets, amen. How would you feel? How would you define or assess that friendship? That's what's been challenging me. Friends, you see, enjoy each other's company. Friends share their joys and their sorrows. They just like being together. Which is why the best definition I've ever heard of prayer is keeping company with God. That's what he wants. A God who says to you and to me, I want to journey all of your life with me. Your joys, your doubts, your suffering, your pain, your work life in its entirety, your frustration at me for not doing the things that you want me to do quickly enough. I want to be in all of it with you. I want a journey because I'm taking on the whole package. I want to do this not as a distant observer, but I want to do it as a friend. And the interesting thing about friendships is that the closer the friendship gets, the more comfortable you are with silence. Sometimes the highest measurement of your friendship is your comfort in silence together, just enjoying silent company. In the Psalms, which of course is Jesus' own prayer book, we discover a life in which every possible human emotion, every emotion, is brought before God. And the more David experienced company with God, the more he longed for it. I spread out my hands to you, he said. I thirst for you like a parched land. Keeping company with God. Keeping company with the one who calls me 
friend. Keeping com company with the one who accepts me as I am. Keeping company with the one who will never disappoint. Keeping company with the one who fulfills my deepest yearnings. There is that lovely picture of in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, where God is walking in the garden at the cool of the day. You know what it's like. Hot day, and in the evening it's cooler. The light is intense. I can picture it. And you can begin to get the fragrance of the, of the flowers. God's walking in the garden, seeking the company of the creatures that he has made in his own image. But they have rebelled and they hide. And they hide from him. And having dealt with our, that rebellion on the cross, Jesus wants to resume the walk. He wants to resume the walk and has provided us with the means of doing that. I find that absolutely staggering. He desires our company. So the question is how? How do we nurture and develop this friendship with God that he invites us into unconditionally? One of the most amazing features of God's creation is its diversity. And isn't it remarkable that there are over six billion people on the earth and no two are the same, either in appearance or temperament. We're all different. It's extraordinary, really. And I'm more and more convinced that in the generosity of the Spirit of God, we can encounter God according to our temperament and uniqueness. That we can encounter him according to our temperament and uniqueness. So the pathway for some is more charismatic worship. The raising of hands, be it dancing before the Lord like David. For some that is their pathway into an encounter with the living God. For others, or at other times, it is more contemplative, and the posture may be kneeling or prostrating ourselves before God. But what we seek in doing so is not mastery of the word or knowledge of, of, of the word of God, not just an experience of the Spirit of God, because in themselves, either of those things can be idols. What we seek is the transforming, sustained encounter with the living God. Paul put it this way, quite simply, I want to know Christ. That's what I want. The invitation to resume the walk, the invitation to keep company as God is not when we feel worthy of it. 
It's not when we've achieved a certain mastery or knowledge of Scripture. It's not when we've had some particular spiritual gift. And transformation is important. Vocation is important. But if the object of our desire is knowing Christ, keeping company with God, we will be transformed. And we will find our vocation as we journey with a God who reaches out to the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. So may God help us on our spiritual journey as we seek to develop that friendship with him. In whatever way it may be unique to us, we're all different. So in these various ways, may we keep company with God increasingly. A God who gave his only son for us. And that in doing so, we might participate in a union of self-forgetful love and delight. Because that's what Jesus desires. Shall we pray?